The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology, in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. Verse 17, we'll go through uh, chapter 4, verse 1. And so today we close out uh, chapter 3 and we dab our toe into chapter 4 as uh, we've been walking verse by verse through this uh, great book called Philippians in this uh, series we're calling Durable. If you're new to redemption, is this your first Sunday or maybe you've just uh, come a few times here, you can find uh, past messages online on our podcast or our website. We started in Philippians back in November, so they should all be there. You can catch up with it and uh, we're planning to finish through chapter 4 here in the month of March, um, leading right up till Easter here. You know, at Redemption, we believe uh, in the Word of God. We love the Word of God, and we come to it each and every Sunday. We open it up because we uh, believe that it contains everything we need for life and godliness. Amen? And so we come expectant as we open up God's Word, as we work our way verse by verse and passage uh, by passage through these books of the Bible. So um, all that to say, hopefully you found your way to Philippians 3.17. I want to begin our message this morning by uh, just reading our verses, and then we will work our way through them. Look there with me now at Philippians 3.17. It says this, Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many, of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame. With minds set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body to be like this glorious body uh, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. This is God's word for God's people. Now, as I read this verse here, I want to ask uh, you to do something here uh, as we begin. Make just a mental list with me of the three people who you would say influence you the most. You can actually make a written down list if you're taking notes. But uh, for all of us here, just make a mental list. Who would you say are the three people who influence you the most? Maybe they're on uh, your list because you listen to them more minutes or even hours in a day or given week than anyone else. They'd influence you just through the amount of time that you spend with them. Maybe they're on your list because their word carries weight in your life. You take what they say uh, 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 very carefully. When they speak, you take note. Their influence is through their authority in your life. Maybe they're on that list because of uh, they're the person you go to with questions or when you're in a a, a crisis. Their influence over you is because of their ability. Maybe even as I ask this question, you're you're just unsure. It's like, I don't don't know. There's lots of influences. Or I don't have anybody that influences me. Well, here, if you're curious, here's maybe just a couple questions that I'll put before you to ask yourself this or to discern who is it that influences you? Who was it that you called or texted or reached out to during the winter weather of a couple weeks ago? Or the flip side of that, who reached out to you to check in on you during that winter weather? 
I would say whoever that is is an influence in your life. You may have others on that list, or maybe nobody did. You're like, nobody reached out to me. If that's the case, I, that makes me sad, and I wish we would know that because there's a whole church full of people here that, that care deeply about people. See, the reality is that everybody listens to someone. Everybody is influenced by someone or some buddies. The question then is who? Who is it that influences us? Uh, and then uh, should they be the voice that is loudest? Should they be the people that we are following? Are they living a life that is followable? I think that's a word. And it's to these questions then that our passage tackles today. Philippians has been all about growing our durability, of us walking uh, with steadfastness, strengthening our faith, of, of these principles teaching us how to live a life worthy of the gospel in and through every situation, all the circumstances from the most dire to uh, the most uh, easy, the most comfortable. And as we live a life, we follow people, we are influenced by people as we live as worthy gospel citizens. And so today's passage here, as I read it, they, it may have even uh, reminded you of a previous passage, for this passage really rounds out actually a larger section that began back in Philippians 1.27. Look back there with me, if you will. It's probably just a page uh, over. Go to Philippians 1.27, and you'll see a couple repeated things here that was just in our passage. Philippians 1.27 says this, Only let your manner of life. And you remember uh, that passage if you're here. If not, let me just tell you that manner of life is literally translated your manner of citizenship. Your life as a citizen be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come to and see you or I'm absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Now look here for a second. That verse forms the first part of this section, and now are the verses that I just read at the end of chapter three and beginning of verse or chapter four uh, forms a larger section with these repeated themes. This idea of our citizenship, of how we live, and then this exhortation to stand firm in all of life. In one twenty-seven, it was standing firm side by side. These things were commanded. And now as he gets to the end, he is reminding us, the Apostle Paul is reminding us of how we live as citizens and how we stand firm. In the center of this larger section, then, we had these examples of Christ in chapter 2, right? Remember Christ's example of humility. And then he gave us two real-life examples, those two people that the Philippians would have known and two people that we see in the scriptures of Timothy and Epaphroditus. Those examples of people who are living as worthy gospel citizens, citizens of heaven. And so there, in that passage and all throughout, and today we come to then this central truth. He's bringing it back to this central truth. So write it down if you're taking notes. And it is simply this. Gospel people follow gospel people. Gospel people follow gospel people. And when I talk about following, I'm not talking about Facebook following. That really sh shouldn't just be follow. In many cases, it should be stalk. Um, now, some of us have uh, relationships. We actually know people and we interact with the people on there. But most of the time, it's just to, uh, to, you know, to grow our, our followers and our grow our team of copying, of patterning your life after someone else. It's the concept of discipleship. 
of being discipled, of seeking to have your life imitate or emulate, to copy another gospel person. And so when we say gospel people, we're talking about genuine Christ followers. That's been our term throughout this book, really derived from 127 here, of those that are genuinely following gospel people, or following Christ, rather, and living then as a gospel man or a woman. Would you consider yourself a gospel man, a gospel woman, a Christ follower? So the world has way too many nice Christian boys, you know, cute Christian girls. But what our world needs is more gospel men and women, mighty in the scriptures, standing firm in the faith, durable through all of life's circumstances. So as gospel people, we want to follow those types of gospel people. And so all throughout the book of Philippians, really, we've had uh, these gospel-worthy traits that have been brought out for us. It's these type of people that we want to be and the type of people we want to follow or imitate or copy. But in our verses today, then, there are really four more traits. Four traits of the type of people that we want to follow. The type of people we want in our life. The type of life we want to imitate. And these four things rise to the surface. And so let's look at them, beginning in verse 17. We want to follow those who humbly pursue Christ. Jot that down in your notes. You can put it in your Bible there in the margins. But follow those who humbly pursue Christ. Look closely with me there at verse 17. He begins with that word brothers. Brothers, here brothers or sisters. There's probably a footnote in your Bible there at the bottom. And it really includes both. The word form is in the masculine form. So it's literally just translated brothers. But it's meant for both. Hey, siblings in the faith. And so note the familial affection that Paul has for the Philippian brothers and sisters. The same type of familial affection that you share for your, uh, your kinfolk. For the, the people here in your small group in this church. They're brothers and sisters in the Lord. And so he begins by saying this. And how does he end in, in this section here in uh, four, uh, verse, or chapter 4 verse 1? He again calls them my brothers. My siblings. He's coming to them humbly affectionately and it's really why as we read what his exhortation here when he calls them to imitate his faith we don't see it as like somehow prideful or as he's boasting or arrogant or he's just trying to uh, gain an entourage of people when Paul calls uh, the Philippian believers and even us in our own life to join in imitating him and to keep our eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us, when he is saying that, it's not, we shouldn't read that as like, hey, do all these things and you'll succeed in life and love. You know, if you want a successful life like me, then follow, uh, do all of these things. As a matter of fact, if you follow the life of Paul, where is it going to end up for you? He's in prison. In prison, his life will end. He will die eventually like we all do. And so this is a life to genuinely follow in Christ in all things, to humbly pursue him. It's a humble brother saying to his siblings, hey, follow me. Let me show you how to live in a way that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. Paul's inviting them. It's an invitation, really, and to follow him and Timothy and Epaphroditus. That's what he means by the example you have in us. 
these guys that they knew, those who are modeling the way, uh, the very things that he's been writing about. Those whose life is about what we saw in the previous passage, whose life is defined by the one thing, knowing Christ, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, and pressing on towards the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Those are the ones we follow. Those are people who are humbly pursuing Christ. Those who, as it says in 3, uh, eight, that are counting everything as loss who have their books straight, their accounting right when it comes to the Lord, those who are holding fast to the word of life, who are shining bright, as he told us in chapter 2, those who are working out their salvation with fear and trembling, and it is noticeable the growth that they are making in the Lord. Listen, it's not a prideful invitation here, it's not, but a humble invitation. For Paul's invitation to follow is an invitation to vulnerability and accountability. When he says, follow me, he, he, it's, a, it's an invitation into discipleship to run the race together. It's personal. It's an investment. It's, it's mutual. See, you can't fully imitate somebody that you only know through a screen. You, can't, you don't know what is happening. All you get on the screen or through their post is what they want you to see. They put, they put the polished version of themselves. We put filters on all of our photos to make it look great. You can't fully imitate somebody that you only read about in a book through their biography or their reading about somebody seeing something. But what I'm saying is that this is not the type of following or imitation that the text is getting at. We want to follow those men and women who humbly pursue Christ, those whose life matches their theology, and you can see it in their character. You can see it in the way that they live their day-to-day life. And so get this, get this. Those who are humbly pursuing Christ invite others in because they have nothing to hide. They're ready to admit their sin and confess it and to ask forgiveness when it is uh, offensive to you. They're open to walking in this life because they are teachable and humble and know that they have as much to learn from you as you might have to learn from them. See, these are the gospel people that you and I want to follow with our lives. I've encouraged this before and we'll say it again here. You may have heard it in other contexts, but uh, brothers and sisters, you want three people in your life at all times. Somebody who is an older, more mature believer that is investing in you. You want to be walking with somebody, a second person, who is at the same maturity, the same uh, uh, place in their walk with the Lord, and then investing in and discipling somebody who is less mature, who is just newer to the faith than you. And this doesn't necessarily have anything to do with our actual age. This has to do with our time and walking with the Lord and our maturity, our understanding of the uh, nature of God, of theology, and this, the practical living out the gospel, somebody who is living a gospel life. And so we must pursue it. We must make it happen. These people don't just like fall in our life. Community is built, not found. Discipleship relationships are gone after. They're initiated and they're not just thrust upon us all the time. And so what are we doing? How do we follow somebody? Will we follow their, their habits in their life, their, their habits of Bible intake, 
modeling our life after the things that they have found helpful, or modeling and imitating their habits of prayer and their meeting with the Lord, of how they serve the church and their neighbor. We come alongside and, and, and observe these things, of how they love their spouse, how they serve their kids and raise them up, how they work in their, uh, in their job. We model and we watch how they speak about other people both people they're at odds with and people that they are very close to. Now we must get these people into our life and remember that it's not just about, the goal is not to be like that person, but to be like Christ. So find somebody that is pursuing Christ. The people you want to imitate are the ones who are giving it all away. Christ gave it all away, all of his time, all of his talent, all of his treasure, and he wasn't accumulating anything except the sheep for the great shepherd. Church, we want to follow people who are humbly pursuing Christ, who are inviting us in. But the passage of people of godliness, even as he is warning about people to avoid, as he, as he, would, as he would lay out to the people that we do not want to follow, those that are enemies of the cross, he models a level of godliness. Now look how verse 18 begins. He says, For many... And there's a parenthesis, just kind of take that out. He says, for many walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Now look here for a moment. There is no shortage. There are no shortage of bad examples to follow in this world, is there? There's no shortage of those who are enemies of the cross. Gospel people are rare. Gospel people are rare. Those that are genuinely following the Lord, they're, they're, they're fewer in number. However, don't get discouraged because gospel people aren't extinct. They're not extinct. Our church bears witness to that. We have a, uh, we have a plethora of gospel people here that, uh, that model these traits, and not just in our church, but in our network of churches. But the reality is this. There are many who walk as enemies of the cross, whose end is destruction, it says in verse 19. Jesus himself warned of this. Here's a verse. Maybe you've memorized these two verses from Matthew chapter 7. Verses are on the screen here. Jesus warned. He says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Take note of the words there. Many find this. Those that are look the, the easy way. Man, I read that and that verse just like shut because we want everything to be easy, don't we? We want it all to be comfortable. And the way of ease is a way that ends in destruction. The same thing that Paul is getting at back here, echoing the words of Jesus back in our passage to the Philippians and to us today, that the end is destruction. Again, Paul so humbly tearfully even warns them of the same truth. And apparently it's not the first time that he's done it. He says, many, I've often told you this. I've often, he's, he's said this before. We're unsure of exactly who he's talking about. The Philippians surely know, as all he has to do is just remind them, hey, the, you know who I'm talking about here. But even as he brings it up in writing, it grieves him. You can envision the tear spots on the parchment as he is writing this cross. It brings grief to his soul. He's not hardened or calloused or embittered towards them, but he's grieved by sin. 
This, this just struck me here as reading this, that even 30 years after Paul has been saved, he's been walking with the Lord for three decades since that time on the Damascus Road, and he is still tender before the Lord 30 years after he was an enemy of Christ. When he, when in a period in his life where he hated the gospel, he hated Christians, the good news that Jesus died in our place enraged him. So much so that he went to killing Christians, was a persecutor of the church. And so he remembers how verse 19 once described him. This used to be him when the finish line of his life was destruction. Not glorification, not heaven. He remembers when his God was his belly. Now this isn't a, a, a description of those who, are, who overeat. It is ultimately of those who are driven by our appetites, our lusts for more, our lusts to consume, our selfish desires where we consume whatever we make uh, that, to make us happy. Paul remembers when his life, when his God was his belly and not the Lord Jesus Christ. He remembers in his own life when he gloried in what was shameful, when he loved and even boasted about what was sinful. Those things that God says are wrong, were boasted about, or held up, were deemed both in his own life and even in, in society as right. He remembers when his glory was not in Jesus Christ, or when his mind was set on earthly things on the toys and titles and trophies of life that we've called them, the accolades and accomplishments that are, we chase after with our life. He remembers when that defined his life and when his mind was not set on Christ, on heaven, where things above where Christ is. And so it's these sins that he remembers in his own life. It's these sins even now in others that grieve him. And church, they should grieve us. Christ modeled this in his own life as he saw the crowds and he had compassion on them for they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, Matthew 9 says. Didn't lead Jesus, it didn't lead Paul to hardness or bitterness, it shouldn't lead us to be calloused or hateful towards those who are apart from Christ. But our life apart from Christ as we remember it as well. Even if it was decades ago, even if we were saved as a young kid, our life apart from Christ should keep us tender and compassionate before the Lord. But it should also lead us then to warn others, to be bold enough, loving enough, to warn others of those who we are to avoid. See, we want to follow those who humbly pursue Christ and those who weep over sin and weep over it enough with pleading to say, do not follow the way of destruction. See, listen, this morning, if you're, if you're drawn to listen to the voices of those whose end is destruction over or more than the word of God, where do you think you will end up? Where do you think it will be at your end? If you fill your mind with these things, then in putting them into you, then where do you think your affections and actions will lead you? If you're only chasing your own selfish desires, it'll lead you to destruction. I can tell you right now what the, what's at the bottom of the endless social media scrolling. I can tell you right now what, how the endless political debates resolve. I can tell you right now who wins the constant bantering of sports talk uh, radio. I can tell you right now what the outcome of today's news headlines will be. When you get to the bottom and all things are resolved, when it's all over, their end is 
destruction. Their minds are set on, as it says here, are fixated on earthly things. If your life is consumed with them now, you will be consumed by them in the end. But church, if your mind, if your life is consumed with Christ now, you will be consumed by him in the end. And that is exactly what we want. We want to be consumed with Christ so that when our whole life, when we are with him in eternity, our mind is set on heaven, we'll be consumed by him. Not in like a, I'm going to eat you consumption, but our mind and our affections and our heart will be all for Christ. And so the question remains again, redemption, who is influencing you? This is an invitation into following Christ, of following Paul, of following other gospel people. Whose manner of life do you want to copy? As you look at the list that you formed, were one of your small group leaders on that? Somebody else in your small group, one of your elders or their wives? Is it someone who models a compassion for sinners who's courageous with the truth? Or is it somebody who's mind is set on the things below, on earthly things? Are they TV hosts, athletes, political figures, business leaders? But get this, gospel people follow gospel people. Those who, here's the third point, the third trait, those who long for heaven. These are the people that we're to follow, those who long for heaven. And here's a more full description in verses 20 and 21 of the contrast that the people were to avoid from verse 19. We're not to, their end is destruction, but where is our end? Our end is heaven. Our end is in the presence of Christ. And so here again, he resurfaces, as we brought up just a little bit ago, he resurfaces the citizenship idea of uh, 127. There it was commanded to live a certain way. And here it's now a reminder. He says, if you're a Christian, then this isn't your home. For where is our citizenship? Where is our passport ultimately stamped? It is from heaven. It's not New Braunfels. It's not even Texas, y'all. It's not American. Our citizenship as gospel people is in heaven. And so the way that we live should feel out of place. The way that we live here and now, it is countercultural. And as I've said time and time again, it's always been that way. From the Old Testament and the laws that they... That doesn't mean as Christians we act like a bunch of weirdos. That's not what this is a call to. It is just a call to live out of uh, our citizenship in heaven. Have you ever traveled out of country? Just heard from John. He lived in Kuala Lumpur. That is a very counter-cultural place, different than America. If you've traveled, do you get this? I haven't traveled internationally in a while because of, well, you know what's going on in our world, but most recently and before COVID, I was in Haiti for a time doing some training there and I preached in Mexico City and man, you're in context like that and you quickly realize you don't belong. You don't belong. There's times where, where you even feel unsafe as you're just doing normal things like walking down the street or sitting in a restaurant. Your life is always on edge. Your mind is just thinking about who's around me and where, where do I sit? For people are speaking a different language. They're eating different food. They're spending a different currency. 
their life and their habits and their way of thinking and doing things just all looks very different. Ever been in a spot like that? Well, it's a good way to think of our life as Christians here on earth. We speak a different language so often. The way that we talk, the manner of speech that we, uh, that we have, the, the, the content of our things. And I'm, I'm meaning more than just like we don't curse and you know, talk to people that do and we don't gossip, all that. Like those, those are things that we don't do. But just the things that consume our mind, that come out of our mouth, are very good with our minds. What we intake, what we do with our time, we, we spend differently than the world. We spend our time, we spend our talent, we spend our treasure differently than the, uh, than the way that those who are not following the Lord spend their time. We raise our kids differently, we find a spouse differently, we work differently, we have a different ethic and morality that is wrapped up in the gospel that matches our citizenship in heaven, we, which we long for. And we follow those who do too. We follow those who get this, who have matured and who understand what it means to be a citizen. Somebody who is, as the verse 20 says, who eagerly awaits the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what does this mean? Somebody who just like sits around in their room, just like waiting, like looking out the window, they hear a noise outside. It's like, is that Christ coming? You know? No, somebody who is eagerly awaiting a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, is somebody who, who is eagerly awaiting the glories of heaven, who is, yes, waiting for the Lord to take his church home, but it is those people who aren't always sideways about earthly issues in today's headlines. They're the, they're the people that when they read those things or when they, when they hear what's happening in our world, they say, yeah, but let me tell you about what Christ has said and what Christ has promised to do. Let's pray for that right now. They are those people that remain hopeful and steadfast when everything in our earthly citizenship is going in the ditch. There are those who know in the midst of physical trials the things when our bodies begin to fail, that these lowly bodies we have now are going to have all kinds of problems. But it doesn't ultimately matter. These bodies are only temporary. And so even as our bodies begin to fail, they don't work, our knees begin to hurt, and our back begins to hurt, and our mind doesn't work in the way that it is, and our hair starts to turn gray, and all the things that... know that these bodies are just tents. And something far greater awaits us as God's people. And we can spend so much time trying to patch the tent and trying to work the tent. And I'm not saying we don't take medicine. I'm not saying we don't go to the doctor. I'm not saying we don't live healthy lives. But we recognize that it's all under his power. Everything is subject to him. We have this hope for new resurrected bodies and underneath the sovereignty of God, that the power that has enabled him all things are subject to the Lord. See, don't you look forward to that day? One day we'll have glorified bodies just like Christ did, and he still does even now. I say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. You know, I've been working and bending down, and my knee's been hurting me a little bit. I'm like, oh, Lord, I can't wait to have a knee that doesn't twinge. But it just reminds me, even in the pain, of the glory that we'll have in heaven. See, redemption, get this. This isn't a truth just for Easter. But the tomb is empty. Christ is alive. As we sang in the second song, he has won. He's won. He's risen. He's alive now. Do you believe it? 
Do you believe that Christ died and died the death that we were supposed to die? Now he lives so that we might live again. See, this gets us excited. This is what, as believers, this is what we celebrate, that Christ is alive and reigning and ruling over all things. Now this gets us excited, and we want to follow those who do too. It's so easy. The way is easy to get our minds stuck on all the earthly things, whose things end us in destruction, and not on those on, on Christ. See, it's easy to get excited about uh, fishing and trucks. It's easy to get excited about school and study. It's easy to get excited about sports and scores and fashion and clothes. It's easy to celebrate touchdowns and tacos. But church, it's eternal to celebrate the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's eternal to celebrate the things, the, the way of obedience of repentance and choosing to follow Christ. It's eternal to celebrate baptisms. And we want to be a people who follow those who get excited about Christ, who get excited about his church, his work, his coming again. And imagine in your own life, imagine in your own life as you follow uh, them, as their influences in your life, and then how you might influence others. See, these are the type of people we want to be. These are the type of people we want to follow Hope spreads faster than despair. Joy spreads faster than complaining. Love spreads way faster than hate when our minds are fixated on Jesus Christ. These are the people we want to follow. But there's a fourth trait here. There's a fourth trait in verse 1 of chapter 4. We want to follow those who genuinely love you. Follow those who genuinely love you. The verse begins with that word, therefore. We see that word and we ask, well, what is therefore? Therefore. And it really sums it all up. Therefore is a summary word. It sums up this section and the greater section, the invitations and the warnings and commands of the previous chapters. And Paul brings it all to an end. And he says, therefore, church, don't forget, I, Paul, love you deeply. When it's all said and done, when you're thinking through all of these things, do not forget this. I love you deeply. Paul's in prison, remember? He's been separated from them physically, but he's remembering his brothers and sisters affectionately. And so as he says, he says, my brothers whom I love long for my joy and my crown. He's saying, I love you. I miss you. You add joy and richness to my life. You add meaning and value, purpose and pleasure. Beloved, of who can you say this? Of who can you express this genuine love towards? Was it towards those people that reached out to you in the winter weather of a week ago? Of whom do you miss, love, feel this longing for, this joy that adds a richness like a crown? I'm afraid in our digital age, this type of genuine love is dangerously lacking. We think we're more connected, but we're actually more distant from one another. And while our social interaction maybe swells, our intimate interaction starves. Our access is limitless, but our availability is limited. And this is no way to live let us be a people who, who, who genuinely express this love for one another. 
for this, uh, this disconnect, this uh, social interaction, this unavailability, is all, are there all obstacles to our growth and our discipleship? Get this, though. Christ came and dwelt among humanity. Christ humbled himself, lowered himself, made the greatest sacrifice of all to leave behind heaven's throne, to come and live and dwell among us, aware of our needs, from the greatest need of our, uh, our salvation to even our smallest needs, to the littlest cares of our heart. Christ came and he displayed an affection for his people. He was available at all hours of the day, from the early morning hours to the late uh, night hours. He was known and loved by his followers, and he knew and loved them as well. Even when they did bonehead things. Even when they went to the extreme and abandoned him when he needed them most. He confronted their sin and he exhorted them to leave it behind. Christ is love and he set the definition for it. His life demonstrated what genuine life love is all about, the you-before-me mentality. He knew that love is synonymous with sacrifice. And as Christ followers, those who would imitate it as well, we, we imitate Christ, and we imitate others who then imitate Christ, those whom genuinely display this type of love. See, church, follow those who love you enough to tell you who aren't afraid by it, but also love the, or follow those who love you enough to tell you the hard things. Look how the verse ends there. He says, Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Couched in the, uh, in, in, in the bread of his love and affection is this encouragement to stand firm. Even when you want to quit, church, fill your life. Follow those who will encourage you to do the hard things, even when you don't want to. When you don't want to be vulnerable, when you don't want to be accountable, you don't want to serve, you don't want to love your life, you don't want to lay down your uh, your preferences. Follow those who will encourage you to stand firm thus in the Lord. Those that have grit in their own life and bring it out in you. Keep those close to you who will say the hard things to you. It's normal. It's normal to have those that, want, that butter us up, that cater to our flesh, that jump on our complaint train. The Proverbs would tell, but profuse are the kisses of an enemy. See, keep these people close. When they say the hard things, when they encourage you to stand firm, it's easy to want to just run away and to cut them out of our life, thinking they're a toxic person, they don't know what they're talking about, or it's, it's easy to just punch them back a little bit. You stand firm. <laughs> I'll tell you what. Follow those people that will tell you and show you with their life how to be steadfast, how to be durable. Those that are living a durable life. You want a durable faith? You want to live a durable life? Then follow those who are unshaken by today's headlines, who are unshaken by COVID, who are unshaken by politics, who are unshaken by your struggles, and who themselves are standing firm thus in the Lord. These are the people we want to follow. These are gospel-worthy, gospel-citizen traits that we want to be true in our life, and we want to follow those who are as well. Church, I'll ask again, who is influencing you? Who was on your mind when I opened? Who's come to mind throughout? 
make it a point then. Make it a point to reach out to them. Maybe just to thank them. Say, thank you for being a gospel voice in my life. Or if you have not, make it your point this week to ask them to say, will you be a gospel influence in my life? And then let us press on together in this family of faith, leaning and learning in, or leaning in and learning and growing and imitating one another as we collectively follow Christ, the one who came first. See, this is the beauty of it all. Christ came, chased after us, came after us, that we might be uh, like him. He lived amongst us and then called us to follow him, and we follow one another all collectively with our eyes fixed on whom? Jesus. Let's pray now. God in heaven, here we are. Here we are thinking of, uh, of you, Christ, and asking that uh, you would be exalted among us. Christ, thank you that you, uh, you lived the life. You came and dwelt among us. And even now as we seek to live a life, Lord, as gospel-worthy citizens, to have these things in our own life, we would ask, God, that you would uh, put people in your kind providence and your good wisdom. That you would put these people in our life and that we would embrace it, we would love it, God, not for our sake, not just because we're uh, about our own growth or impressing others, but as we collectively press on and strain forward all to know and to grow and to show you Christ Jesus. So help us to that. Help us to that end, God, even this week. Let's be mindful of who's influencing us. Avoid those that we should and follow those that will lead us to you, Jesus. It's in Christ's name that we pray now. Amen.